0: good afternoon. Uh, Rejoicing in times of sorrow. For many people in the world, their own personal suffering can quite often be a barrier to believing in and following an all-powerful God who is in control. So I'd like us to ask what then of someone who does believe and who trusts in God, what might their viewpoint be on their own personal suffering? I'd like us to consider how I can, as a Christian, with a knowledge of the Bible, deal with my own personal suffering and more than that, see benefits from the times of difficulty in my life, as strange as that might sound. Now, I should probably begin this with the knowledge that compared to many people, I personally suffer very little. Um, I'm very blessed to have in this country a government that acknowledges and allows my religion. Uh, somewhere to live, enough to eat, and much more besides. And there are many examples of brethren both alive, asleep in the Lord, and particularly in the Bible, which we'll look at this afternoon, um, who have suffered much more. But the point that I'd like to try and convey is that everyone will have their own individual trials. You will, I'm sure, as much as me. And I'd like to show how a knowledge and a belief in the Bible is able to give some clarity and some meaning to our own personal suffering so that ultimately as our title suggests we might be able to come to rejoice in our times of sorrow so firstly as brother tommy intimated in his opening prayer as a christadelphian who strives to read the bible regularly it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that we will go through some suffering in our lives In western uh, culture, in our quick fix society, there is quite often the idea that suffering or indeed any unpleasantness is unfair and to be avoided at any cost. That we deserve to have a solution to every problem, a pill to cure every ache we could say. It is a victim mentality uh, and partly a refusal to take responsibility for one's actions or to accept our circumstances. As a disciple of Christ, we have an understanding that we all sin, that the world in its current state is far from perfect, and that we need the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to establish God's kingdom. In the Bible, we read of many faithful and God-fearing characters, characters that we might even aspire to be like or to follow their example but ones that all too often still have their failings, and who we read of enduring great suffering and affliction. Moreover, uh, we can read passages where it tells us that simply becoming a Christian doesn't automatically mean that we'll be guaranteed an easy life. And if you keep our finger in Second Corinthians, because we will come back there, but turn with me to John 15, uh, then we read the words of Jesus there. So Jesus tells us in John 15 that we are more likely to endure hostility from the world for standing out as different in trying to follow him in our lives. If we come down to verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the words which I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So why then would we choose to follow someone who can't guarantee us an easy ride? Well, the truth is that no one will have a pain-free life. The world views pain as sinister, an enemy that should be avoided. The Bible reminds us, though, that in trials we should look beyond the present and focus on the potential benefits. James 1 verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, what are then the benefits or the positives uh, that might be able to come out of our suffering? Well, I'm going to touch on just three ways Uh, that can help us to view our suffering in this light. And there are all ways that we find the Apostle Paul highlights in our reading from 2 Corinthians 1, if we can turn back there. So firstly we read in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. The point that Paul is making here is that he could see the sufferings or the tribulation that he went through as an opportunity to benefit others. Verse 6, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. The same is true of many examples which we read of throughout the Bible. We have, for instance, the example of Job, uh, a man who we were told was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil, and that's in Job 1 verse 1. Yet a man who we read was afflicted For the benefit of himself, yes, but also to the benefit of his friends. They didn't understand how God could allow a righteous man to suffer. And so they assumed that Job was receiving punishment for something that he had done wrong. You see, they they thought that they understood how God worked in people's lives. And they're condemned for it and they're shown the error of their ways through the example of Job. Right at the end of the book of Job in chapter 42, we read that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, going back to the example of Paul, um, who's speaking to us in 2 Corinthians, if we look back at the records of his life, uh, if we turn to the book of Acts, We read of many, many trials eh, which Paul endures. If we can turn to Acts chapter 14, we have just one example of this. So in Acts 14, we read there of the stoning of Paul by the Jews to the point that we read in verse 19 that they supposed him to have been dead. Could you imagine eh, what it would feel like to be so hated by a group of people that they would have left you to die. What do you think that would have done to your, uh, or to my, faith and resolve? Well, let's uh, read of what Paul thought of this. Verse 20. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the soul of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Paul returns to the exact same places and the same people who had treated him so horrendously, and he does this to strengthen the disciples. We can also turn forwards. Just a few chapters to Acts 16, uh, where we have Paul and Silas um, beaten and cast into prison. We read that in verse 23. Acts sixteen twenty-three. When they had laid many stripes on them, that being Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. We know, uh, as we read on through this example that we're given, uh, that through this tribulation which Paul and Silas endured, the jailer and all of his household were eventually baptised into the saving name of our Lord. If we come down um, to verse 30. 30, And he, uh, being the jailer, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. And when we eventually read of Paul and Silas leaving the prison, uh, we read that they didn't immediately leave the city, but that they entered the house of Lydia And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So Paul and Silas are focused on using their experiences to strengthen and encourage the other brethren around them. And so though it may be hard for us to see through our tribulation and our experiences, God may be leading us to a point where we are able to help others through theirs when it comes. Now the difficulty with this is that it is often with hindsight that we're able to see this and not in the moment. But we can prepare ourselves by putting our trust in God. We need to act, we need to trust that God is acting out his plan and his purpose, and that God is always in control. Now secondly, if you turn back with me to Second Corinthians chapter one, we see yet another reason that the Bible shows us on how we can benefit from our suffering. Second Corinthians chapter 1, and if you'll just come down with me to verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. We should realise That although God may allow trials, he is not indifferent to us when they come. God is our Father. Even more than a loving human father, he finds no joy in seeing his children in pain. I'd like you to consider just for a second an analogy. I'd like you to think of a father who sends his children to school. And a child may return home upset even in tears, Do we think that because the child doesn't enjoy school, possibly they didn't make any friends, possibly the other children weren't nice to them, possibly they were bullied. Do we think that the father won't send them back? Or does the father, as much as it might hurt him, recognise that it is good for the child to go back to school and to endure until he comes through the other side? Now God takes no joy in seeing us enduring through trials. It goes back, I think, to the victim mentality. It's often thought, I believe, and it's often been said to me, um, that we are in pain, and how could God allow us to go through such pain? But do we think of God the Father's pain at seeing us, at seeing us succumb to the same sins time after time? This does not please God, but it hurts him. But God recognises ultimately that sometimes our trials and our sufferings can be an opportunity for him to shape us, to refine our character so that we might be fit for his kingdom. Paul recognised this benefit too, uh, as can we. Um, If we turn to Hebrews chapter 12... (laughs) where we read in verse 11, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There are many examples of this in the Bible too. Uh, We might think generally of the children of Israel, God's people, whose pattern of turning away from God, only to repent and turn back, and then turn away again, and so on and so forth, is mirrored by the records of their times of peace and safety, followed by affliction and captivity in order to draw them back to God. The example that I would briefly like to consider, though, is the example of Naaman, uh, which we have in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2nd Kings 5 and just reading verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honourable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valour, but a leper. Now Naaman had everything. He was commander of the army. He was a great and honourable man, as we read, a mighty man of valour. His master was the king, so he was right up there in the social standings. But he had one affliction, that he was a leper. This affliction was there to refine his character, in order to teach him humility and to teach him to ask for help. He had to humble himself and turn to the God of Israel in order to be healed. If we just come down To verse fifteen. This is after that Naaman has gone to Elisha, and Elisha has sent him to wash in the Jordan, and he's been healed. And so he returns to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, "Indeed, now I know that there is no god in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant." But he, Elisha, said, "As the Lord lives." Before whom I stand I will receive nothing and he urged him to retake it, but he refused. The importance that elisha didn't accept Naaman's money or his gifts was because if Naaman could go back home and if he could say in any way that he went and that he saw a prophet and he paid him some money and he convinced him to heal him then that went completely against the lesson that he had to learn. The lesson that it was about humility and it was about God and what God could do for Naaman through his power and might and not of himself. The same can be true of ourselves. We seem to have a natural tendency, human beings that is, to forget about God when everything is going well for us. But when we are brought low, when we are in need... That is often when we find that people will turn to God most of all. Psalm one hundred nineteen tells us in verse sixty seven that before I was afflicted I went astray, but now I keep your word. Now come back to me to uh, come back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter one uh, for our third point. So in verse 5 of Second Corinthians chapter 1 we read, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. It's important for us to remember the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. If any man ought to be exempt from suffering and pain, then it ought to be the one man who didn't sin. And yet through the Gospel records, we read of the many trials that Jesus endured in his life ultimately to the death on the cross if we can turn back to hebrews chapter 12 hebrews 12 and reading from verse 1 who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. We see again the connection there with God as our Father, only wanting the best for us. And we see, of course, the context of the suffering of Christ. Putting our sufferings in context with what Jesus has suffered can remind us how blessed we are that we don't go through what he endured. But it's not the whole point that Paul was making in Second Corinthians There's more meaning behind drawing a comparison between ourselves and what Jesus endured than just that. 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that, when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy this is where we fully come to understand how we're able to rejoice in times of sorrow because by associating ourselves with the sufferings of jesus we are also associating ourselves with the hope and the joy that kept him going through it all in order to endure his trials jesus looked to god's words he turned to god in prayer and through everything he kept in his mind the hope Of God's kingdom. In Hebrews 12, we read in verse 2 that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. We have that same hope, that same joy, that by sharing in Jesus' sufferings, we will also share in the reward. And one day we will stand in the presence of God, free from sin and suffering. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 that I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In God's kingdom, we will gain immeasurably more than we have ever lost through our suffering in this life. Through reading the Bible, we understand that it is only through the sacrifice of Jesus, a sinless man, that we can have a hope of our sins being forgiven and a place in God's kingdom. Just a little further on in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, if we can turn to chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we read in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So hopefully we have shown then this afternoon that following God in our lives, reading the Bible and understanding the message and the hope therein, can actually bring some answers or some meaning to the suffering in our lives, and ultimately give us a hope for the future. Those who come to understand the purpose and the calling of God will still find that life at times is difficult, but they look forward to the time when God will give them eternal life in his kingdom. So I'd just like to finish with just a small insight into what the kingdom of God will be like. Just two passages. Firstly, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And finally, Revelation 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Thank you.